Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. All right, welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe here with you, recapping our top stories for this Memorial Day. The NHL and NBA starting to make plans to get back to work. We're waiting on Major League Baseball, and uh, all signs are pointing towards some positive things. Joe, real quick, the NHL looking at uh, maybe 24 teams having some sort of expanded playoffs, and the NBA with this crazy idea of everybody going to Orlando to play their games. I'm curious to see that thing play out. I, I mean, don't know if that's They have crazy. several courts there, but I mean, I guess. I mean, is it, is, I'll tell you what, it's less crazy in the sense of basically you're quarantining everybody in a, in a larger scale in a very controlled environment to play a tournament. It's kind of what people were used to when they were teenagers. <laughs> you know, it kind of, but, the same but I thing. think that they're going to play the regular season too. Are they, or are they just, well, if they're going to play the regular season too, that's a little wacky, but if they were just going to do the playoffs at least, or, or some combination of those things, it's, it's not the worst idea in the world. It's a little to keep unclear, but I, I think they have to play another 12 regular season games. Right. You said because of TV rights, I believe you said yeah. in order to get TV revenue. And if that's the case, so they'll play 12 games. That's what a couple weeks of regular season games and launch like into a the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, which honestly, I'm sure the guys will tell you they need anyway. So the NHL one's the one I'm even more excited about because I, like I said, playoff hockey, Senate Hour One. It's an exciting thing. I'd like to see that. It would be very exciting to see an expanded playoff hockey. Hockey during the playoffs, there's nothing like, especially overtime hockey. Oh my God, so much fun. So I'm all for it. Let's get it. Let's get tournaments going. Let's get something going. I know Craig Mish is ready. Believe me, he is. He is overdone. I, Anything. you know what? Anything. You will be in Anything. such a better mood for this show every day. I watched KBO this morning. This morning, it was on replay at six o'clock in the morning. I was up early. I don't know why. It was you know something woke me up outside and and I flipped on the TV and there's KBO and I was like, I wonder if Craig Mish is watching this right now because we need something to get Craig back into his happy place. It's been a while. I think I'm fine. You think so? You, yes. you ever say, whenever someone says, I'm fine, it's like Ross on Friends. When he That's has a, my tell. When we, when we start doing DFS segments again, I'll wear a backwards hat for those segments. We'll call me Joey DFS and we'll do it. It'll be fun. Uh, I'll, maybe we'll make a Twitter handle for it. It'll be fun. But it's, it's you know, sometimes there's stereotypes, but... Sometimes stereotypes. I think that's fair. That's actually a fair one. (laughs) All right. uh, Over to the NFL's first win in 2020. We've been covering several teams. We'll continue that today here on the show. And these are courtesy the FanDuel Sportsbook Online, which you guys can view even without betting on the FanDuel Sportsbook. You could take a look exactly what we're showing you here. FanDuel has released odds for a lot of the first wins for several NFL teams, about a half a dozen. And today we're going to dive in. 
to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we start off with week one. Their odds to beat the Giants at the Giants are pretty good, minus 195. And so the overwhelming majority of bets will probably be on this, although there's really not a lot of value laying $195 to win 100 Week two, if they would lose to the Giants, if you bet 100 bucks and they beat Denver at Denver, um, they're plus 230. The following week, they take on the Houston Texans, where they are plus 750. Uh, then they take on the Titans, where they're 23 to 1. Uh, the Eagles are also 41 to 1. And then we're getting crazy here with Cleveland at 50 to 1. But I mean, honestly, for the Steelers, <laughs> no, it wouldn't shock me to see Pittsburgh start off 0-2 or 0-3, but but 5 or 6 seems like a long shot. Uh, any, uh, I mean, I hate to go chalkier and just say they beat the Giants week one, but I, I, I suppose it's just, it's a good matchup for them. But FanDuel <laughs> in general is not really high, and neither is the USA Today. Those two places are not really high on the Giants this year, so maybe that's more of an indication of that. I think it's creeping into your psyche too much. I think the Giants have a puncher's chance in that game. You know, first game back a little bit. Knocking the dust off for Roethlisberger. Steelers are not, look, there's not Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers are past. I mean, James Conner's a nice player, but he's had trouble staying on the field. They've got a lot more questions and answers. Juju by himself, we still don't have an answer of what he is without well, Antonio Brown. they drafted a really good receiver. They did. Look, I'm not saying that you don't have talent. I'm saying is sometimes it takes time for talent to come together here. And the Steelers at home and Steelers on the road, very different. Uh, I actually would like to go to that second game. I think, uh, you know, going to the Denver game in Pittsburgh, that to me is the one where, you know, first game back at home for Roethlisberger, that crowd is going to be absolutely on fire. They're going to be very excited. It was a very rough year for Steelers Nation, and Steeler fans are everywhere. That is a national team. It was a very rough season for them. They did show some self-respect at times, though. There's no doubt. They showed some fight, especially on the defensive side, but... There was nothing going when it came to the offense and quarterback, especially. So it was a bad, bad scene for them. But I find it hard to believe that they get out of week two with two losses. I, I don't I, see that happening. I mean, but, but I will say this. Of all the teams in the NFL with a big question mark, Pittsburgh is kind of one of those oh, teams. Oh, this is a huge swing. if Ben comes back and he's not Ben, they, they may be rolling off an 0-5, 0-6. I mean, look, it's they were well, they were horrible at the quarterback position last year. Maybe worse than any team in the NFL we've seen in a long time. I mean, both those guys they had played terrible. Well, look, so, if you're not going to get it in the Giants in Denver, like if you don't, if you don't win well, in one of those. What if Ben is just done? If Ben is just done, they're losing all these games. Well, the problem is they have back-to-back -back home games. They have back uh, this year. It, oh, I know uh, Brett's going to have to go look that up while we're talking here because back-to-back -back yeah, home games against the Broncos yeah. and the Texans, I find that hard to believe. If these games were switched <laughs> if they were on the road very much so but they are historically a pretty good team at home and i don't know i just i don't see them i could very well see them losing that first game that would be you know because every year in week one we always have those things where nobody saw oh, coming week two, right there's some value there for you you bet 100 i think there's some value i think there's a lot of value there and also let's not forget the washington redskins and the eagles last year week one right who saw that game coming? Nobody. Yeah, at the beginning of the season is very... Uh, beginning of the season is always weird, and this is a huge trap because the trap of this game is Ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, two, three years ago, that was a thing. I'm not sure what it is now, and I'm not sure that I'm sold that the Giants are as bad of a football team as everybody's putting out there because when you have somebody like Saquon Barkley, that can completely turn everything on a dime or Danny dimes, so to speak. And all of a sudden you have a W for the giants and a huge upset in week one that nobody saw coming. 
I just don't think it's going to carry over into week two when they get to Pittsburgh. I think things get right there, especially if they do. Is it still Rudolph and Hodges? Is it still those two guys? Who they draft? I don't remember them drafting. Who they draft oh. at quarter? Boy, we're really. <laughs> Brett's just throwing out names now. He's got Paxton Lynch. He's got a. I don't know. All I know is Roethlisberger better not get hurt. I think we can all agree on that. Well, that right? Cam Newton ends up there, right? <laughs> well, I thought Winston was going to end up there. This is something I talked about on the podcast, uh, you know, a couple months ago when we were talking about landing spots. I thought he was the perfect guy for them. You know, let's bring him in there with Tomlin and see if we can get him kind of, you know, in a different scenario, just out of Tampa, shake the dust off a little, play under Roethlisberger for a year, sit back, and then maybe transition out of that to a different quarterback over the next two years. But he ended up doing the same thing. Instead, took New Orleans, which is probably a better scenario for him. All right, now let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts. Let's take a look at the odds for their first win of 2020. They start off the season at Jacksonville, where they're expected to be pretty significant favorite. Looks like uh, their their odds right now are minus 310, so they're about close to a touchdown favorite at Jacksonville to win week one. Versus Minnesota week two, if they win that game, you bet 100, you win 360. So the FanDuel assumption here is, yes, they're going to Jacksonville and they're winning, and you're making money if you bet anything else. Uh, against the Jets week three, they're 7-1. If for some reason the Colts are 0-3, they face the Bears week four. Wow, you get 32-1 to on your money if the Colts go 0-3 and then beat Chicago and then Cleveland at Cleveland 60-1. to And then clearly the Colts are headed for a disaster if they're 0-5 and you hit on a 75-1 to 1. <laughs> um, look, I, I was, I was kind of with you last year on the Colts. They did rally behind Brissett. They did have a good season. I think that was a good call. Um, we just this year are going to see things very differently, I think, on Indianapolis because I am not going to be a fan of, uh, of Rivers going into the season, even with that good offensive line. That being said, the teams that we've we've chosen today, unfortunately, they do have some really tempting matchups to look at week one. And indeed, if Jacksonville is not done tanking, and I don't think that they're done by the time the season starts, I think they're going to probably end up moving more players. It just seems to me that... It just seems to me that even though it is an at game where they're on the road, I don't see Indy losing that game even with, I mean, even if the Colts aren't that great and they only win 17-14 or 16-13, because I think that's the kind of team we're going to see with Indy this year. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points. Uh, I just, I, I couldn't side with Jacksonville. So this is a pass. I can't for- either. It's it's tough, though, because it is a road game, you know, first week of the season. You never Anything know how can happen. the yeah, gate. More. You know, that's that's the tricky thing is anything can happen here. And this is a trap spot, no doubt, because I think if you're the Colts, you think you're a much better team on paper than Jacksonville. So uh, I agree with you. I think, unfortunately, it's chalky. It's the week one. They get the victory. But if they don't and you think that there's a possibility for an upset or you don't like Indianapolis as much as maybe I do, I don't think necessarily versus Minnesota is an easy game for them. But I think the lock is against the Jets. I think you are at home. Everybody's the beating the Jets. You got the Jets 0 and 16 by the time. No, I don't. I, I think they'll win two or three games. <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that be a scenario too? They got Darnold and maybe they have a shot at Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> get Trevor Lawrence in New York. Yeah. I mean, Adam Gase will ruin that anyway. He'll ruin everything. Oh, you're I familiar don't... with Adam Gase's work, aren't you? I feel like you're you're more familiar than most. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I, I think that he's he's going to get that team the six or seven wins. I do. Oh, I don't man. I don't like Adam Gase, but I also I, I don't see the Jets as bad as you do. I think the Jets I think the Jets are the bad team. You have them losing every game so far. Well, you no, had, when, when do you have them winning their first game? No, I don't know. We'll never. I think we did day. this already. You had them never. 
I, I didn't have them going 0-6. Didn't they beat the Bears? I think you had them like 0-5. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, if, if the record fits. Have you seen the roster, Craig? Have you looked at the depth chart lately? Because I maybe I'm maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but they were well, they, look at the depth. They I were, encourage they played you close with a lot of teams last year. <sighs> I don't <died. laughs> remember a lot of close games with the Jets towards look, the end of the year when look, Darnold it, came it back. It could end up happening, but look, when these lines come out, Joe, they're, you know Vegas again. My favorite line: Vegas is building hotels on people that make comments like that. I'm not I, saying look, that you're wrong, but it's just no, nothing is ever obvious in sports. And, and no, and that's this, why I think maybe this one is, but their their total is six and a half or six. That's what the amount of games that they're supposed to get close to winning. And I'll take the under on that one. When I'll take the over. I, on the obviously, obviously everybody so. thinks the Giants are worse. I think the Giants are the better football team in New York. There you the go. The Giants and Jets number is very similar. It's not that far apart. It's just yeah. USA Today didn't like them. That's that was nope. the, the key to that. All right, uh, speaking of win totals, we're going to hit on some baseball ones coming up next, some indicators that may help you decide if indeed there is a baseball season coming up, so don't go away. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Fantasy Sports Today, one of the great partnerships we have here at Sports Grid is with Sports Radar. They provide really good and interesting data for sports wagering, also for fantasy and all kinds of things. And, and really, they've helped us a lot with a lot of the work that we do here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I like to get involved in every year is the season win totals in Major League Baseball. And clearly, this year in particular, it's going to be a lot harder to do not knowing how long the season is and what the teams may even look like here in 2020. Um, so I thought that I would kind of take you guys behind the curtain a little bit and give you some of the thought process as to how I come up with these. And 
fortunately, I've been pretty successful through the years. Uh, a couple of things that before we get to the specific stat that I want to take a look at are things that I look at for Major League Baseball teams. Um, you know, Joe, I don't like to get involved with teams at the bottom and at the top because it's horrible, but they can win some games in April and they can win some games in September. And conversely, the Dodgers win totals over 100. What happens if they have things wrapped up in early September and finish 5-12 and 12 at the end of the season? And it really doesn't matter. So in general, Joe, those are the two things that I stay away from as we begin. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly makes sense. It's amazing, though, to think of, you know, when you take out April and <laughs> and, and into a potential 80-game season, how different one hot streak can can change things. And maybe that's why people— streak, And it doesn't matter. Or a cold streak, team. right, yeah. The last yeah. two weeks of the season are irrelevant. And so well, I can understand—yeah, I can understand, you know, things kind of marginalize in a 162-game season. They don't over half of a season. And I can understand people being afraid to go ahead with team totals uh, under that circumstance, but— Maybe conversely, there's there's opportunity there as well. So I'm curious to see these Craig Mish nuggets that you got out here. Right. And, and so a part of what I'll do is I'll pick a team usually in the 70 to 80 win range that I feel is not trying to win. And I know that that's you know, maybe a little silly to say that they're not trying to win, but you could look at a team's offseason and clearly see if they've signed any free agents and how many aging players they have, how many players they'll trade at the deadline. And then in general, I'll go under that total. And that's been pretty successful. But the one stat, above all, that will tell you about a team's record the next year is the amount of one-run games they win and the amount of one-run games they lose. If a team is 500, you could just ignore it. It doesn't mean anything. But I want to take you back over the last 15, 20 years of baseball and give you the very best teams in the last 20 years in one-run games. And that's it. I'm going to show you the top three in the last 20 years. We'll start off with the San Francisco Giants. In 2003, the San Francisco Giants won 100 games. They were 161. Their record in one-run games was 28-12, and 12, 16 games above 500. And the following year, in 2004, they won 91 games. And as you can see, that's a win-loss differential of minus 9. Now, the Giants' win total in 2014 is irrelevant to the conversation. I'm going to explain to you why. You have to apply the number when it's going below or going above where this where the team's win total is. And so if the Giants are minus nine, it may not apply to them necessarily because their season win total may not be affected here. But if you had a team, as an example, with 85 wins and they had the best record in one-run games and their win total was 80 going into the next season, you would go under that total because you know that there would be a significant differential. And right here, it's minus nine. But again, you'd have to see what the team's total is in order to find into uh, process that bet. So that's the uh, that's the Giants. It's funny. Um, I was just look, thinking, too, about the one-run games and wondering about bullpens and things like that, too, because I was looking to see who the – I was just curious who the closer was in 2003 for the Giants. Any idea who that was? Because I got the name for you. Uh, 2003 Nen. Um, Tim Worrell. Tim Worrell, yeah. And then the next year. I know him, but I don't remember. Then him. the next year, closer was split between more than one guy. It was Matt uh, Matt Hurgis and Dustin Hermanson. So a little bit less clarity in the bullpen. I wonder how that also kind of affected that drop-off in wins. The one-run games are the most uh, luckiest thing that can happen in baseball one way right. or the other. And if, and if there are huge outliers, it's something to take a look at for the following year. So the Giants were a minus nine. Uh, now let's go to our second team. We're going to go over to the Baltimore Orioles of 2012. 
they had a staggering record of 29 and 9 in one run games for a 76% win percentage. 2012, they won 93 games. 2013, they win 85 games. So there they are at a minus eight differential. So again, if you look at a team's win total and you have a team that is somewhere in the middle of where their total was the previous year, you can expect them to lose about six to 10 games the following year. And if that number would put them under the win total, then you should bet the under. Here's a here's another this might be a running theme here. Maybe we're tying something together here without even, you know, realizing it on the fly. Uh, the closer that year for all those one run games was the year Jim Johnson recorded 51 saves. So I wonder, is there also something to looking at a closer season that kind of came out of nowhere? Uh, Tim Worrell is not going to say 40 games every year, but all of a sudden so far we're two for two with kind of closers that you weren't expecting. And then the next season here, looking at uh, the Orioles and the save totals, uh, it, it, ironically, you're not going to believe this. Jim Johnson, uh, 50 again. So I'm wrong. <laughs> what happened to Jim Johnson? 101 saves in two years? Yeah, I, I don't know that the closers are necessarily part of it because they're just as unpredictable as anyone. You can have a guy one year horrible and then the next year is the best in the league. It's like the, the conversation that Kirby Yates is the best closer in baseball. Well, I'm just trying to think of baseball that hasn't lost his job yet. It's I'm just happen. trying to tie in, you know, one run leads or one run games. It could happen. It just, you know, it into save opportunities, Joe. just opportunities, yeah, not necessarily. But a lot of it is Joe is tie games that they go into extra innings and then it's anybody's game. I see. Okay, that's, that's fair enough, that's too. a big part of it, also. Extra inning games, you could look up that stat, this is too. It's fun. I'm that. learning. I like this All right, so the, educational So the program. 2016 Texas Rangers uh, were, were really good. They were 36-11 and 11 in one-run games. 70% win percentage in those games. 2016, their final record, 95-67. and 67. 2017, a minus 18 differential. 78-84. and 84. Their season win total that year was 83 and they ended up winning 78, and they had to rally to win 78. I remember this one toward the end of the season. So uh, right there, those are the last three teams in baseball to have the highest win percentage in uh, in the game, in one-run games, and they all lost a substantial amount the next year. Now, you may say, well, but did they go under their season win total? That's irrelevant to the conversation because what you have to do is, you, again, you have to identify the margin there of where the season – uh, win total for the team is and if it's still very high they may only lose six or seven games the next year and still go over their win total you have to match it so you make sure that that goes under the following year that's part yeah of it. it's it's really fascinating uh obviously injuries have a huge part of the to do with this as well roster turnover all of that can happen to do how much have you looked at those factors too as well as not just this one run differential in terms of is it a combination of this one run victories and having I'll a lot always of them one year. I'll always take a fir the first thing I'll do is always take a look at the team that had the best record in one run games. Always okay. the first thing that I'll look at. And then I have to start asking myself, like, you know, what about the team? Like a good example of, of a team that everyone thinks is like the easy was it's gone, but was the easy under uh, going into 2020 was the pirates. Everybody's predicting the pie. Oh, they're going to be terrible. They're going to be, but you know what? Their their win total is 68 or 69. You know, it's like it's it, it's not insurmountable for them to win 72 games and go 72 right. and 90. And yes, they did nothing. And yes, they turned over their team a ton. And yes, they fired their GM. But 
but a 72 and 90 season puts them over mm-hmm. and they still are horrible on this <laughs> so you really you, you you can't look at that and and just call it oh they're just going to be bad and yes they're not trying i get all of those things but a few wins here or there at the beginning or the end of the season pushes them right over it so that's not a team necessarily that i'll mess with and the pirates last year in one run games weren't horrible yeah. so well, fun fact you know, about that's these- this 27 Rangers, by the way, too. 2017, that's when Adrian Beltre missed half of a season. Uh, so that clearly had a huge impact on them, uh, turning over that roster. It's the last year the fielder played for them in 2016. But also in 2016, you had Sam Dyson saving a fair amount of games. The next year, nobody had more than 11 saves for that team, which is kind of interesting. They were running out uh, guys like Matt Bush. Uh, they were running out a lot of guys that did not have a whole lot of closing experience or save a whole lot of games uh, that year too. So like I said, I, I'm not trying to tie it in necessarily, but it is something to, you know, Alex Claudio and Matt Bush combined for 21 saves. So there weren't a whole lot of opportunities there for that team maybe, or or conversions for that matter too, where they're unable to do that. But, um, right, but this particular year, the Rangers were 18 games worse. I mean, they were, well, horrible. I think that's, I think you could put the Adrian Beltre missing half a season there. I mean, your best yeah, player. But, out but how many, but Adrian Beltre is a four or five four win player. player. Yeah, well, the, but that's that's a so huge that's thing. So that's four or five. I mean, he misses the whole year. That's four or five wins. Uh, Fielder doesn't play for them a whole year. That's well, three or four wins. Logic, they, they were minus eighteen from one year to the next. That's, what was that's, that's, well? Where where were the Yankees last year? One one games. Uh, one run games. I'm really curious about that. I, I don't have all. I, I mean, I just took the best teams in baseball. Yeah, because because uh, I'm kind of interested about where they happen to be because. If you factor in, you know, oh, like you, you want to know who the best team in 2019 was in baseball, one run game? Yeah. Make yeah. a guess. Who do you think? I gave uh, you the answer already. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I might have been looking at one point. And I not... gave it. I subtly gave it to you because I told you <laughs> what I this... bet against this year. <laughs> was it Pittsburgh? <laughs> the Giants. Oh, the Giants. All right. <laughs> they were the number one team in baseball, one run games. And now you have year. them without Madison Baumgartner and a potential shortened season where they're not bringing up any youth because it doesn't pay. Well, now I don't know. Now I'm at, now I'm not going to get involved in it because well, but look, anything. I mean, you, you've laid it out here. You've laid out a perfect scenario with a team that won a ton of one run games. Now you're taking away their best pitcher. You're taking away a scenario where uh, an, taking away their manager. You're taking away their manager. You're taking away oh, their they, best starter, and on top of which, you're taking away the prospect of prospects. Potentially, because why would they want to promote guys if they know they're not really going to be in it? They don't have anyone anyway, though. I don't know. Well, Devon, they have a couple guys. I mean, this, you know, the Joey Barts of the world are on their way, but there's nobody's going to get pushed in this organization. And I think that's the point we're making is I think you're laying out a perfect scenario. Yeah, but but there's I could I could go against you on all that. And a ton of age. I I, I would have thought if it was a full season. Samarja gets off to a good start. They could trade him. Belt gets off to a oh, good start. Oh, you're the guy who told him. me about Samarja's contract. They are not being able to move that contract. Re- regardless, all year. the contracts are immovable with no fans in the stands. No team is taking on salary this year. Right. Well, and that's the whole thing. Like, nobody's that's getting That's bad for a total because Nobody those players are major league players. They're replacement-level players. Like, they, 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 yeah. they don't have players to replace them if they trade them. Now they're not going to trade them. None. Zero. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I think— I think you've laid out the groundwork here to go against the Giants very, very well. Not in an 80-game season. But I think even an 80-game season, there's a lot of things that work against them more than for them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't know. You've done such good work, and I'm basically saying, wow, Craig, you've hit it. There it is. It is in a full year, though. There's too many variables this year. Something crazy is going to happen in baseball this year. Something wild. I think that crazy thing is going to be Evan Longoria hoisting a championship. Probably not. 
Probably not. All right, so how about the teams? We went from teams that had great one-run uh, records last year uh, in the last 20 years. How about the teams that had the worst? We'll hit that next. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you, because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hit rewind, you can see the teams in Major League Baseball in the last 15, 20 years that had the best record in one-run games. I kind of illustrated how you can use that in win totals. This is all data courtesy of Sports Radar, our friends there who are great partners with us help us align all the data for us. And they will continue to do that here in 2020. We went through all the teams that had fantastic records in one run games. All of the teams that we illustrated basically were much worse the following year. And we're not talking about two games worse, normally six, seven, eight, sometimes 15 games worse. The question is, can you now take this data and flip it and say, okay, well, all the teams that had really bad records in one-run games, they must have gotten better the following year. Now, if that was the case, then I wouldn't be talking to you guys. It's not an exact science. And this is a little bit murkier, but I think you still will find that one-run games are a great indicator. But let's start with, with the negative here, which basically shows that this essentially pro uh, proves very little. Um, let's start off with the Cincinnati Reds, Joe. The Cincinnati Reds in 2014 had, in the last... I don't know, 15 years, one of the worst seasons ever in one-run games. They were 22 and 38, 36 percentage in wins. Horrible. And that season, they finished 76 and 86. So you would just fully assume that, oh, 2015, they'll come back and they'll play. No, they did not. They were awful again. <laughs> and so using the data here basically proves nothing a couple of things happened. The Reds completely dismantled in 2015, and all the things went against them that could have possibly went for them, but their win-loss differential even got worse, Joe, here. So simply just taking this data and saying teams that are really bad in one-run games always are better the next year, I think you're still going to be interested in seeing the other teams that we're going to talk about, but it, for this particular team with the Cincinnati Reds, it proved incorrect. Well, 2014 certainly was difficult, too, when Joey Votto missed... Uh, more than half the season. So that clearly was part of that 
76 and 86 record kind of cooked in there. But yeah, I mean, clearly the next year was not a quick turnaround. The Reds got worse. <laughs> the Reds got better. Well, I guess what happens is you have your best player go down, your team implodes, you look at it and you go, okay, it's time to strip it all down. And Joey Votto's getting paid a lot. Let's try to, you know, retool it, rebuild it, whatever you want to say. But that clearly uh, makes a lot of sense there. But I mean, that's a dramatic changeover. You know, 12 wins is a lot. That is a, that's a big difference. Well, they lost 12 more games, so it just basically I mean. showed the data doesn't mean anything there. But as you'll see, it may be anecdotal just for that team. Because okay. if you take a look at the Chicago White Sox in 2013, another horrible team in one-run games, 24 wins, 36 losses, 40% winning. 2013, the White Sox win 63 games. 2014, they make up all of those losses ironically, puts them right back to 500 in one-run games. What's their win-loss differential? Plus 10. Mm. So here, you, know. <laughs> you have an example of, of a team yeah. that made up for all of those losses the previous year. And by the way, still not a good team, but not nearly as unlucky as they were the year before. See, I actually think the, the negative effect that we did in the previous segment is a lot easier to kind of gauge because you look at Teams just doing really, really well in one-run games, and you say how fluky one-run games are, and I kind of agree with you. Things have to break right for you to win those kind of games. It seems to be easier to bet on the regression in the negative sense than in the positive sense, I guess. I, I agree I feel, with that. I feel way more I agree with that, but, but again, uncomfortable if, in this one than I did last segment in some of these so far. But, but again, let's say hypothetically that teams that win a lot of one-run games out of 10 six or seven end up losing a lot the previous year, even if you're hitting above 50% on these topics that we're going to talk about here, the teams that lost a lot of one-run games to getting better the following year, it's still a good bet if it's above 50%. So I guess I guess there's a combination of things, though, that have to look right for you to want to bet this. Like, you have to look and see better bullpen, better pitching, better possibilities of those close games going their way. You know, because I think that if you're seeing negative, I mean, you can't just at, look at one thing. You can't no, look, you can't. I think you have. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying no, to give it a but, decent I mean, indicator. Well, that's why when talking about the Giants, you know, having the best one run game record last year, all of the negatives I've just listed at them of being a good bet for the under, you're still hesitant. But then I think when you look at certain teams in the opposite way, you have to look at, OK, how well, uh, you couldn't have better. done that for the White Sox in 2014. Well, I'm trying to think, what was the difference between these two teams in 13 and 14 in terms of roster? Was there a player? Was there a guy that came in there that was the difference? Was this Jose Abreu showing up or Chris Sale coming of age there? It could have been. I I mean, it has to do with something like... But is that 10 games better? That's not. Well, if Sale is three and Abreu is three, that's six. I'm just saying, six and a couple flukes. There's your 10. Well, we'd have to go back and look at that. I didn't... uh... Well, I, I will look for you because I know you're a busy guy. <laughs> I'm sure that actually not that busy. All <laughs> right, so the final team here is the Miami Marlins of 2013. One of the worst seasons in Marlins history. It was horrible. Oh, witnessed that one. They uh, they had the worst record in baseball that season in one-run games, 407 win percentage, 24-35. and 35. Uh, 2013... Their record was 62-100 and 100 in that year. They had the horrible uh, one-run game. Uh, 2014, they come back the following year, more or less the same team, and they win 15 more games, 77-85. and 85. Jose Fernandez does make his debut. Uh, but, again, 
it just shows you there, plus 15 is pretty, uh, pretty impressive pickup for a team that really didn't change a lot. No, that's that's a definitely an And I'm player. guessing that most of the teams that we look at that had really bad one-run game seasons did get better the next year. It may not be all of them, but mm-hmm. I think that you can use this data and you will find that as well. I mean, I didn't I didn't cherry pick these teams. I took the last three sure. in yeah. the last twenty years for both. It's not well, I look, didn't just like look to find a narrative here. I just I went no, right sure. off the data. And and going off the data is certainly I think where everything should start. Because I think that always gives you the best leaping off point, and then you can kind of piece other things together. Going back to answer your question about the White Sox, uh, Chris Sale was there for 2013 and 2014. Uh, he was a 3.07 ERA in 13 and a 2.17 ERA in 14. So he certainly did his part. But the big difference, Jose Abreu shows up into that lineup in 2014, makes his debut there. That was his first season. So um, say what you will, when you put a player in the middle of the lineup, that has a huge ripple effect. Yeah, on yeah, but, else. but we have a stat for that now. It's called WAR, and and that's mm-hmm. that's the be all end all. And and if Jose Abreu's WAR, you could look it up that season. I don't know. I'll guess it was four or five. That makes the team four or five wins better, not ten. I mean, not ten. No, 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 not ten. But I mean, also, how often does a guy in the American League pitch to a two ERA? That's a very fluky thing. I think you could add that along with you know you add that Chris Sale factor in with that Abreu factor. I think it gives you, a, you five or six wins. But then again, you you'd, you'd have to go back and look at all of their other players, Joe. And I would guarantee you on their twenty-five man roster, half the guys were worse the following year. You'd have to go back and check that. But that's that's part of baseball, man. Some guys get better, some guys get worse. It's like <laughs> the stock market. Um, well, I, but yeah, I with, with the Marlins that season, there was no secret sauce. I mean, Jose came in. Um, you know, clearly was really good in his first year and probably contributed to three or four wins, you know, maybe. Stanton was pretty good, maybe two or three more wins there too. But uh, plus 15 means basically the team was just really unlucky the previous year. It's pretty much it. Well, is that another thing to consider too, now that we're kind of bringing it up and talking about it? Is there something to the mind of when you're looking at the data and you're saying, okay, is this team going to, you know, achieve? It's a starting point. Well, but I'm saying is then let's start looking at these other factors of the difference of these teams that improved year over year after being terrible, right? You look at it and you say, okay, can we get is is this player who's coming up or coming into this organization a four or five win player in your opinion? Is you know Giancarlo Stanton clearly was that guy was incredible in the Cuban League. I mean, he was you know kind of like yeah, Cespedes. I, 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 I don't, I don't think, they, I don't, I, I think it. I mean, who had Pete Alonso hitting fifty home runs? Who no had money. Alvarez hitting forty home runs? I, I, no. I think that those are all. I think they're all guesses, man. I mean, honestly, when well, it comes to young I, players and rookies. Well, I'll tell you what, with young players and rookies, the one thing to consider nowadays is I think there's a lot clearer path. I mean, just look at the rookies from last year. You just mentioned two. You throw in Victor Robles. You throw in Soto, who's just 22 years old. You throw in all these young guys here. It's Tatis, a young person's yeah. game. You know, yeah. I think Tatis. Oh, it absolutely one. is. I think and and they're more ready start, than they ever have been. I get are, all that. But, you're but still, I, I think you can start factoring that in to a certain extent. I don't want to say you want to overdo it. Because for every one of those guys, you have a Vlad Guerrero Jr. who got hurt and things didn't quite go their way last year. But man, I mean, you well, kind of was my under thing. last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Toronto Blue Jays. And did that hit? Yes. Okay, so there you go. So for a lot of money. Right. <laughs> had a really good one-run record the year before. <laughs> but there you go. I, I think there's a lot of factors, and I think if you're very careful about which ones you choose to look at. I think there's definitely some money to be made there. I, I'm i going to keep thumping the table for this Giants one, though, because I'll tell you, man, I just think that you've made perhaps one of the best cases on this show for taking an under for a team in the shortened season, because I think the shortened season hurts this team. 
I really do. I just I see a lot of age on this team. I see an organization that is not looking to the future to bring guys up. I see a team that was without their manager, who's been there forever, their ace, who's been there forever. That's a lot psychologically. But their and win total is going to be like twenty. Well, I mean, you said the win total. Low. What was the what was the win total for a full season for the Giants this year? 72, 71. Okay, so if the win total is 38, let's say, you go so under it's that? It's going to be 38. It's going to be 35. Okay, so 35. You're still afraid of the under there? I haven't made a final decision on that yet. I got to take a look. I'm I mean, definitely not under 500 teach. I, I will not bet as much. That I will not do. But I'm if not. you think about it, I mean, 30. let's say that any one game season, are they're worse than a 500 team. I think we could agree on that, right? The oh, Giants? no, that's right. Their, their total's not going to – I apologize. That's definitely not going to be there. It's going to be 30, 29. It's gonna okay. Be, uh, actually lower than – I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. But I just put it in half. That's wrong. It's yeah. going to be 28, 29, somewhere along those lines. Yeah, I, I think that anything under 30 is, you know, <laughs> more – more realistic for this team because oh yeah 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 you've seen this pictures i mean i don't know what johnny cueto's got left in the tank you and i have both seen enough kevin gossman in our life i think to to have a pretty uh, negative that opinion. was all they did that was all that's they all did. they were able to do because of and the why money did they get him for what purpose uh to try to fill innings and pray that they could catch no. lightning in a bottle with a guy i don't to know trade him to trade him well, they can only trade him if he's any good, but now I don't but even know that. The goal was to get him right and then trade him in July. That like they signed him for one year, ten million, and then and then they, they give him away at the All Star break for a prospect. That's why you sign a guy like that for one year. That's it. Yeah, look, I just think this is a team that's got all kinds. They're gonna of be horrible, but issues. But now it's a short season. Who knows? I'm I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know. Honest, I'm scared. <laughs> Listen, when you're betting that kind of money, you're for fifty dollars. I'd still do it, but for five thousand, I mean, it's a different story, man. When it's that kind of coin that's, oh, that's out fair. there, so it's different, a lot more zeros there, a lot more zeros. Yes. You're talking. All right, uh, coming up next, uh, you know, we last week focused on a couple of games that I had been to in the past. I think you guys are really going to find this fascinating. Uh, some really cool games that I've attended with the media credentials to go along with it. In fact, one of the games we talked about the other day. So we'll hit on that next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. This is Sports Grid, Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia at Craig Mish on Twitter, at Joe Pizzapia 17 at Sports Grid on Twitter. Follow us. We'll be back after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Hopefully you guys are having a good Memorial Day. We'll have Scott Farrell coming up a little bit later on, going coast to coast. Joe and I will be back here tomorrow morning as everyone gets back to work, sort of, with whatever you're doing, at 11 a.m. Eastern here on Fantasy Sports Today. Last week, uh, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This by no means in this segment is self-serving or anything like that, uh, bragging. I am very, very fortunate to have covered the events that I did. Note that I kept the credentials 
to the events that I went to, took nothing for granted that I will like, let me keep this because I don't ever think I'm going to have a chance to do this ever again. And uh, dug into the old book of tricks for a couple of games yesterday. Now, uh, to be clear before we get into this, uh, this was uh, me covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I actually was, uh, traveled home and road with the Bucs for, I believe it was two years. I covered them for three. Uh, the first year I covered the Bucs was, uh, I believe, 97. And that was Tony Dungy's first season as the head coach of the Buccaneers, Joe. The team still wasn't good. They started off 0-4, 0-5. I think they finished maybe 6-10. and But it was that second year in 1998 where they went to the pewter and they had Dunn and Allstott and Brooks and Sapp and all these guys that everybody mm -hmm. remembers that ended up taking them into the playoffs. And uh, so this was a, a one part of the 97 season and then one part of the 98 season that I'm going to get to. Was but that I was Tony Dungy era? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I covered Tony Dungy's era there. Yes. Yeah. That was pre-Gruden. And by the way, Gruden, Gruden gets the credit for winning the Super Bowl. No question with Tampa Bay. But remember, all those guys were with Dungy. Oh, those are all Dungy, Dungy guys. But yeah, let's all, Dungy, Dungy also had a lot of playoff losses. I remember a playoff loss at Eagles. I remember some playoff losses to some other teams. You know, that's why they got rid of him. Yeah, Gruden got them over the hump there, so to it speak. Yeah, against the Raiders. Against the Raiders, which was his team the year before. Which, which if you go back to 2001, the season we just talked about in hour one, that was the Tuck Rule game <laughs> that we were talking about earlier in the week. So that was definitely one of the crazier carousels in terms of coaches leaving and going and coming. And then, of course, Tony Dungy goes to the Colts and then wins there. And it was just kind of, you, to, you just got to keep things straight. Say, like, wait a minute, wasn't he just there yesterday and now? Okay, and just kind of following I around. felt very bad for Dungy. That hurt that day when they let him go. He did a press conference a, and thanked everybody for the opportunity. Hey, look, you know what, though? It all worked out. He, and look, he's got the greatest gig in the world on NBC on Sunday nights, man. That's a great did, gig. Did. And they did. do a great job on there. I like him, yeah. All right, so here is the game we talked about the other day. I alluded to it, not knowing exactly what I was talking about, but I knew I had been there for one of these. So, okay, so this credential that you're looking at is for the Bucks lions game. September 12, 1997, I covered this game. The Buccaneers played the Lions at home at Raymond James Stadium. Was this at right where it may have been at the old stadium? I don't I think it could have been at the old stadium. I'm not sure. I want to quantify that. I, I'm going to say it was the, at the old Tampa Stadium. Uh, Lions beat the Buccaneers 27-9. to Barry Sanders mm. rushed for 24 times, 215 <laughs> yards, and two touchdowns. That's a he good, had an 80-yard rushing touchdown <laughs> in the first quarter and an 82-yard rushing touchdown in the third quarter and a seven-yard rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. The Bucks led uh, after one quarter, nine to seven. Uh, work done brought them back into the game. It was a little back and forth for like the first half. And then inevitably, Barry Sanders just went crazy. And I thought that I was at a game like this, that I remembered that he rushed for over 200 yards. And he did. And he crushed the Bucks. Barry Sanders, man, crushing the Bucks. You said it and you found it. I do think, though, we need some sort of theme song for this segment going forward like a where in the world is carmen san diego where in the world is craig mish kind of thing we need something like the games that craig has been to i just just saying theme songs are good i think we've got a lot of time on our hands or danny or ryan i think i think we need like a little craig mish head kind of traveling around the country and you're like yeah there's craig mish throwing a football craig mish catching a baseball and hitting the baseball doing you know just kind of just kind of going around and then kind of set it up i think uh you know, God knows everyone's bored, a little entertainment, but look, Barry Sanders here in this game, I mean, this is what he did. He was a video game. That's what he was, a human video game at times. So it's just crazy, he man. So and people, people, I know there's younger people who hear about Barry Sanders and they roll their eyes, and I'm just saying, no, 
You don't understand. And had he been doing this in this era of social media and highlight bites that are all over Twitter, can you imagine the kind of press that Barry Sanders would be getting? Just imagine it, especially now the fantasy football is blown up and the individual player is so, you know, so important oh, to people. it's everything. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's so different to think of Barry Sanders in, was this, 97? Is that when this is? Yeah. Uh, yes. As opposed to in 2017, right? If you fast forward all these years later and think yeah, about like what running backs are running for 80 yard touchdowns in, in multiple times in games Barclays of the world, the Henry's of the world. Those are the kind of guys that could do that, but it's just, it's crazy. But again, the people don't get it. And the amount of play and the amount of views that the highlight reel runs of Barry Sanders would get in this era would be just stunning by comparison to anybody else. And it's, it's kind of funny because he's kind of a guy out of time in that sense. And unfortunately he just never got, I wish he had won more. <laughs> I'm sad for Barry Sanders. He worked so hard and he was such a good player and a good soldier on that team for so many years. And they just, they didn't win a whole lot of games, some games, but not a yeah. lot. Well, the Bucks would go on that season to play the Lions again and beat them in the playoffs. Oh, wow. And yeah. Uh, a game that I went to. And then the following week was the divisional round. And this is uh, my actual welcome credential to Lambeau Field. Um, I mean, you talk about places. This is probably the mecca of all the things that I've been to. I would, the places that I've been to, I would say, is Lambeau Field. I've been there three times and I think maybe four. I don't know. Definitely and this three. was when it was still Lambeau, not the new Lambeau. Um, I don't know, but it was Lambeau Field. No, but you know uh, they redid the stadium a few years back, so it's not the same as it was. I'm back not sure. In I'm not sure. In '98, sure. it was Old Lambeau Field, whatever that was, the original stadium. I'm I am almost 100 percent sure of that, Brett. You okay. can double check me on that. But there was then the redo. But what was that like walking into that area? Because that's like a it small town that has to have a pro football team. <laughs> it was, it, it, was, was it, it Tom Coughlin falling off gold? It, there's nothing happening in Green Bay except well now there's a lot okay. more happening than when I was when I was there but uh, it, it's just the whole place revolves around the Packers everything is Packers like they opened a Walmart when I was there it was like a huge deal to go there that they had a Walmart there it was a, it's just a really small town feel like it really well, is, town, weird, the whole which is which it's is a college amazing. feel. Well, that, that's like the weirdest thing about it right because people will say well we can't put a pro sports team in a small town and then look at Green Bay. I mean, look at what look at what that team is to Green Bay, and why can't you? Why can't you put it? I mean, it's cold, and there's nothing else to do there. I get all, but still, like this whole notion that well, it has to be a certain size city to have a, a franchise for why? Why? You have to have the support. Yeah. I think you have to have the support. Well, when there's nothing else to do in the town, you're going to get the support, right? So I so you get to the stadium when you cover a game, and I believe it was the early game, so it was a one o'clock game. That means noon. Um, I remember getting to the stadium and it said four degrees on the big screen. I'm like, oh, wow. So it was 27 kickoff. degrees oh, at kickoff. With, with, and I look back, it was the 13th coldest uh, start time for a Packers playoff game all time. 13th and this was a, that I was. what time was this game? One o'clock. One o'clock. Okay. See, my experience in the frigid of Buffalo was actually a night game. It was a Sunday night football game, and it was single digits, and then it got to underneath. It got to the negatives, and I couldn't believe I was outside. <laughs> so the Packers won this game uh, relatively easily. The Bucks had a little magical run that year, and then they just came to an end, 21-7. to But the Bucks' defense was really what carried them and even carried them into the Super Bowl the following year. Um, Dorsey Levins had a really good game. He rushed 25 times, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Sap sacked far three times. Mm -hmm. 
And Favre really didn't play well. He threw two interceptions in this game. Dilford didn't play well at all. Uh, Favre only completed 15 passes, but what happened was at the end of the game, the crowd went nuts because when it was, uh, I believe it was 13-7 late, and then they scored a touchdown, and then they went for two on one of the Levin's touchdowns, and uh, and, the, and Favre ran it in. And I remember everyone just going nuts at that well, time. Well, look at the stat one. you threw in there, too. Mark Chamora catching a touchdown. Yeah, Chamora there's a, had a touchdown. There's a name I haven't thought of in a very, very long time, but this was uh, one of those great Brett Favre moments for sure. Yeah. It's very difficult for teams. He for loved Tampa. his tight ends. Favre. He was big he on did. the tight ends. But you might, it's we. It's still true to this day. It's very tough to imagine those teams from those warm weather places going to places like Green Bay, where it's four degrees and winning a football it's game. Man. Yeah. And Reggie White had a good game too. That was the experience I had there with uh, with seeing Reggie White. So yeah, it's like. You would think that with all of the history and things that I've done, like I'd be talking baseball this time. But I mean, I had some really incredible football experiences. Yeah. And, and Lambo was really was was at the top. Everyone's watching the game. It's the kind of game where you get done, you text somebody and you're at the game and everyone knows because everyone saw it. But the experience and walking out and going to Lambo is definitely one that I'll I'll never forget. And I and I made a point. Uh, when I started covering the Dolphins and I left, uh, the t uh, I was living in Sarasota, I left there and I started covering the Dolphins. And I remember at the time the TV show we were doing, it was like a TV talk show. And we didn't have the, we weren't like a paid team to travel. So I remember talking it over with our, our production team. We're like, okay, we're going to go on one road trip like every year. Uh, one year we went to New York. It was right after 9-11. We did a whole story on 9-11 when the Jets uh, the Jets played right after that, I yep. think. I have the yep. credential for that, too. No, it's the Jets. And Jets then Chiefs, uh, I think. whenever yeah. Green Bay was on the schedule, that was the game I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to Lambeau. Well, is there a place left for you? You know, having said that, you know, that's the for one football? that's... For football? For baseball? For anywhere that you haven't been to uh, that you really want to that, you know, for one reason or another? Is there like that? Is there any holy grail left for you? Out there in sports? I mean, yeah, I, I haven't been to some places that I'd like to go, but I don't crave it like I did then. The, back so let's then, crave I was single, one. I was covering we're, we're sports. On TV I wanted here. to go everywhere. Well, now you're old and you got kids and you're married, but let's crave would, one more. I would say Fenway time. Park I've never been to. I would be interested in oh, Fenway. you got to go to Fenway. Yeah, that That'd is a one. must. Hopefully Fenway Park, I sat right next to the pesky pole in Fenway Park. I have never sat in a place where I, I felt like I was playing I really felt like, hey, if I'm sitting this close, they really should give me a glove because it is almost dangerously close to the field. But it feels like you're watching a pinball machine. I was at Fenway Park. It was right before Mark McGuire got dealt, actually. And Mark McGuire was in his heyday. He hit a ball off the wall that hit the Green Monster, true story, and bounced back in almost to the shortstop in the infield. True story. Everybody in the ballpark is looking at each other like, did we just see that happen? Did he hit that ball that hard? Yeah, he did. It was like the Mo Vaughn, Nomar Garcia, Para yeah. era of Red Sox. Uh, and that was, it is, for a baseball fan too. I mean, I've been to Wrigley. I've sat in the bleachers for a game. It was I've amazing. Yeah. But Fenway Park at night is something to behold, man. There's something about that field. There's something about that wall. There's just something about the lighting, everything in that. It just feels like you're in a museum of baseball. And it's the most incredible thing to ever behold. So I hope you get there because I can tell you, It'd be one more Craig Mish rides one last time. It should be to Fenway Park, my friend. Yeah, That's we'll, worth doing. We'll, we'll see. I don't crave it like I used to. And um, you know, it's different having a family, clearly. Back then, it was like, just give me a Not credential. Take your son. Road trip. 
Oh, I, I'm sure now that that's the next part of it. But uh, but I like going as media. I don't mind that. It's nice and cool. All right, that'll do it for the show. Thanks again to uh, to all of our great people working here at Sports Grid, and be safe out there for Memorial Day, the rest of Memorial Day. For Joe, I'm Craig. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern. Have a great day, everybody. See you. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build and optimize lineups for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.